Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great Uh, and this week we're joined by actor, sports writer and broadcaster Tom Watt. Thanks for coming Hi, along. Hi Tom, Hi Andy, how are we? Very good, very good. Thank you for joining us tonight on uh, Shoot the Breeze. For, for yourself, we've picked out a shoot magazine from the 11th of March 1989 and as we do we'll start off from the beginning. Look at the front page. Yeah, nothing much happened for Arsenal fans. And well, I was going to say you said, you said you choose a kind of a random, a random issue. Uh, there's nothing random at, about 1989, <laughs> boys. Well, we, we we do we do lie a wee bit when we say um, that it's random. So that this one is a bit loaded in your favour. So starting off the front page, we have a photo of Arsenal's Brian Marwood with the accompanying text signed. Marwood joins Britain's top seller and says, young guns, go for it. So Marwood is joined as a new regular columnist on the magazine. And the young guns, go for it is, of course, a reference to Wham's song of the same name, although it's hardly a topical reference as it was released six years earlier. Now, just uh, other, other features to pick out in the front page. Uh, it's 45 pence. And it says the first and best on sale every week. So they're obviously having that to and fro with Match Magazine at the same same time. Other features is Wright's Dundee Shaker, and this is accompanied with a photo of Keith Wright of Dundee, who will feature inside. There are Man City and Airdrie team groups, uh, plus items and photographs inside on Hansen, Gorham, McClare, Speedy, Andrews and Parks. Now, it's already clear from the front page that there's a good deal of Scottish coverage in this edition, whether that's covering the game in Scotland itself or Scottish players. Let's talk about the the, the, the picture of Brian Marwood there. Yeah. I mean, just to actually, first off about, you know, it does take you back a bit. You think even then, you know, even in the late 80s, which is what, 30 years ago, you know, Every team in the English leagues had Scottish players. Yeah, most of them had Scottish managers. Yeah, and you know that's a, that's something that has really changed. You know, you, yeah. just, you just look at those Hanson, McClare, Speedy, all of those playing top top level in the English the English first division, as mm. it were. Um, and you know now you kind of you scratch around. I mean, you know, um, Clarkie's having to really sort of dig down into the football league as well as the Scottish leagues to find uh, a team to put out in Scottish internationals now. And it just just didn't used to be like that. Now, whether yeah. that's because English clubs and to, to a great extent, Scottish clubs as well, are kind of, you know, with all the changes that came with Bosman and one thing and another and, uh, you know, EU regulations and going abroad to find players and neglecting those in your backyard or whether that's just English clubs neglecting Scottish players, or if it says something about, you know, the development of, of young Scottish players over the course of the last 20 or 30 years, whether that's really kind of fallen away. Hmm. I, th I think, you know, it's a difficult answer, but it's probably about everything Yeah. of, of that. Um, but you can see at the moment, see, I, th I, th I sort of have an idea that things are cyclical. And I think at the moment Scotland are on a, a bit of an up swing because you, you look at Robertson, you look at Tierney that are coming in. So essentially, they, they're coming in because they're good enough. So there's been a period of time that really Scottish players, you know, and we'll say it ourselves, weren't good enough to play in a lot of the English teams. I mean, there wasn't a Hanson, there wasn't a Gorham, there wasn't a McClare for a long time. 
but now they're coming through bit by bit again, and they're they're earning their their time down south in the English league. Yeah, well, he's hoping, he's mm. hoping, because you know there were things that came with Scottish players, you know, as well as ability, you know, just good team players, mm. aggression, you know, it, it, there there were qualities that the Scottish players and Scottish managers brought to English football without question. And I, you know, I grew up watching lots of, of Scottish players, you know, the, um, you know, I think back to the first Arsenal double team in 70, 71. And, you know, Frank McClintock, one of the great captains at, at Arsenal, one of the great captains full stop actually. And, you know, those, those English football's the poorer for not having more of the, the attributes that people like Frank personified. Mm. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll go inside to the pages two and three, and this is the Brian Marwood column. So this is his first column with the magazine. And it says, Don't be coy, boys. Arsenal on the verge, and we should be proud of our achievements. So Brian hopes that joining the shoot team turns out to be a good omen for Arsenal's bid for the league title this season. Manager George Graham has tried to play down the idea that Arsenal are in the hunt for the title, whereas Brian himself thinks that there shouldn't be any issue in talking about it, as long as it's done sensibly. He says that there had been talk about Celtic and Aberdeen being interested in him before he joined Arsenal from Sheffield Wednesday, but he felt there was something special in there when he joined the Gunners a year ago. He says, not many 28-year-olds get the chance to join one of the world's biggest clubs. Now, he scored on his debut with a penalty and remembers fans holding their heads in their hands as he stepped up to take it. Not because it was him, but because Arsenal had missed a few previously. And his biggest disappointment since his move to Arsenal has been the omission from the England squads. Uh, he played once in a friendly against Egypt in 1988, but he actually wouldn't feature again for his country at that level. Now, as, as the season nears to an end, he says that it's important that the younger players, in particular, keep cool heads but to enjoy every moment of their current good form, he looks forward to them taking on Nottingham Forest in their next match. So, just as a wee spoiler to that next game, Arsenal were de dealt a, a blow to their title challenges they were beaten 3-1 at home by Forest. So, m memories of Brian Marwood. I mean, I'm guessing, based on this season, pretty much anybody who would have played that season is, is held in high esteem by Arsenal fans. No, absolutely. And, you know, Brian was, uh, Brian really did kind of buy into Arsenal. I mean, I've I've kind of stayed in touch with Brian, actually, over the years. And now, of course, he's, you know, oh, I don't know what the exact job title is, but, you know, he, he was with Nike for ages and then moved on to Manchester City. And he's now responsible for kind of keeping their whole global football um, thing organised. Um, you know, he sort of looks after all the different clubs around the, the, the city group have got around the world and, um, you know, make sure that everybody's sort of on the same page with, every, you know, everything from kind of, I don't know, the sort of, the, you know, club values to the style of football to um, moving players between clubs um, and, uh, you know, developing players at, at, at clubs away from, from Manchester City and developing managers too, for that matter. Um, and, um, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's done really well. He's a very, very bright, personable man. And he kind of fitted right in at Arsenal, to be honest. It, it's a, a bit of a shame for Brian in that he got injured right towards the end of the season. And so he wasn't actually involved the night at Anfield, 26 May 1989, which was only, what, a couple of months after this edition came out. He wasn't he wasn't actually involved that night when, when Arsenal sort of... Um, one two nil Liverpool and you know the most dramatic end to a, yeah, yeah. a, a top flight season in in English football history and so he kind of gets if you know what I mean because he wasn't there that night he kind of gets a bit left out of the story of that season and actually certainly up until Christmas early in the new year he was arguably our best player you know great energy great commitment scored goals uh, played wide but you know, got in the penalty area, scored goals, great um, tracking back. The defensive side of his game was really, really good, which is why one of the reasons George loved him as much as he did. And um, I think, you know, he, he, he wasn't with the club all that long, but made a real mark that season. He was 
he was outstanding. And um, you've got that feeling. And there were one or two of those who George signed. And just every time they got out on the pitch, you thought, this geezer's as happy to play for Arsenal as I would be. Yeah. You know what I mean? He had that enthusiasm. And uh, now I think the world of the fella, really, he's, um, he's, uh, he had a really good career. It's surprising you said he got his one cap against Egypt because uh, I'm forever reminding him about, you know, England international, Brian Marwood, getting that, that one cap. I thought it was against Saudi Arabia, but maybe the game was played in Saudi Arabia um, against Egypt. I don't know. But um, he did get that one run out. Um, and that season, he was as good as anybody in his position, really. You know, playing out wide, he was as, as good as anybody, really. So, um, but I think over the course of, you know, once he got injured at the end of that season and then the following season, you know, you had kind of, you know, people like David Rowcastle, God rest his soul, very, very difficult to shift out of a team. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I just think other, um, perhaps younger players, um, kind of took their chance. And so by the time Arsenal won the league again in 91, Brian had, had moved on, I think. So, but he made a real impact. And I think if, well, I know how much he enjoyed his time at Highbury. So that, you know, that whole thing about, you know, how often does a 28-year-old, he might be talking Arsenal up a bit, given that they hadn't won the league title for 18 years, talking them up a bit as one of the world's great clubs. But, um he really did feel like Arsenal were a special club, which they were, to be fair. Um, and you just got the feeling he was he was just made up to be playing for him. And you saw that every time he turned out. Hmm. Maybe um, being 28 contributed yeah, yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. And he played a lot of his football in lower divisions. Um, and so he kind of, you know... Yeah, he, he knew mm. he, he knew what that opportunity offered to him. Yeah, um, and uh, he was he was sort of determined to take advantage of it. Mm. Fair play to him. Yeah, I mean he mentions it as well that when he came to the club, he, he sensed there was something great about to happen. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of players that's that's what they would say as well. But you know, maybe he genuinely did. Uh, well, no, it was it was an amazing group. Uh, you know, an awful lot. That, that group of players was never successful in Europe. Um, so there was never the fuss about them that there was uh, yeah. subsequently about the, um, the, uh, the class of 92. Yeah. But Arsenal's class of 82 were as good, if not better. You know, you look at the players that kind of came through together in, in 1982, you know, the, um, in, through from the youth team. You know, you've got Tony Adams, you've got Paul Merson, you've got, David Rowcastle, you've got Michael Thomas, you've got Martin Keown, um, you, you've got Paul Davis, who was just a little bit, uh, a year or two older. Um, so you had this kind of core of a team and that if in many ways sort of first announced itself, probably um, 86, 87, beat Liverpool in the uh, Littlewoods Cup final. And that was kind of the last hurrah for the team that George Graham inherited, really. And then he just, he brought players in from the lower leagues, like Brian, uh, but also Steve Bold and, you know, Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, people like that. But also gave, put his faith in in those young players, put his faith in the class of 82. And that's what happened, you know, that you, you had the title in 89 and again in 91, you know, that, pretty much the same team were within a whisker of being the original Invincibles. You know, they, they lost one game that season in 91. So, um, yeah, it was it was a good time. And a, a very, that 89 team was a really exciting team to watch because you were never quite sure what was going to happen. And you can tell, you know, when that edition of Shoot came out, they were kind of five points clear, of, miles clear of Liverpool. But you were never quite sure what was going to happen with them. And they did have a lot of young players um, and a lot of players playing in the top division for the, you know, for the first time. Um, and it, it did cost them, so that, which was why, of course, it went to the wire in um, at the end of the season. What, what's your memories of that night at Anfield, Tom? Oh, don't get me started, mate. <laughs> you know. No, no, it's one of the great nights, one of the great nights. I mean, you think about it, that 89, in many ways... Um, 
you know, I was there, I was at Anfield. So obviously the, you know, the whole night, the whole day is kind of stuck in my memory. Did, did you go there thinking that you were going to do it, or was it just in, in hope? No, I went up because you thought I'm one of those sort of. I, you kind of no, no, I didn't think we'd do it. We'd drawn against Wimbledon in midweek, and we'd lost at home to Derby uh, the previous weekend, and you just thought, well, sort of ten days and two weeks before, and you just thought we'd blown it basically. Mm-hmm. Because um, if we'd won either of those games, we would have won the title before we went to Anfield. Mm. Um, so it, 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 you didn't think, but, you know, the minibus was booked, 10 of us going, but come the time, it was just me on my lonesome in the car. Do you know what I mean? People had, and I just thought, got to go, got to go. Because it was kind of, it was unusual for a league game because it was effectively a cup final. Yeah. Um, and cup final, I do cup finals. You know, I did Baku last year. You do cup finals. And so I went and from kind of climbing into the car first thing in the morning to turning up at, you know, one of the service areas on the way back and seeing 200 Arsenal supporters <laughs> doing a conga on the roof of the service area. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just remember every moment of it. But more seriously, that season kind of changed English football for good in many ways, I think. Um, You know, that night, obviously what you had that night, something that English football had never had before, which was the title decided in the most dramatic circumstances possible, live on television. Yeah. And I think without that, without that television event, not 100% sure that Sky TV and all of that happened, at the same time, of course, that season will forever be remembered for, you know, for the Hillsborough disaster and, the, you know, the, the, uh, the Liverpool fans who never came home and, you know, the 96 and more who, who, who lost their lives um, either on the day or, or later. Yeah. And uh, for, uh, ironically, because I remember the, the I, I don't remember the date, it's probably about maybe a month later, a month after this this edition came out and I was at Highbury. We were at home to Newcastle. And funny enough, Brian Marwood scored the winning goal that afternoon. Uh, We beat Newcastle 1-0. Liverpool were playing at Forest at Hillsborough, obviously. And sort of words started coming through and it kind of gives an idea of where we were at the time. At first, people just thought, oh, it's going off. Do you know what I mean? People are having a a scrap. And then, and also just you're almost ashamed in hindsight as a football fan, what you're really bothered about is what's going on in front of you. And, you know, we've we've won one nil brilliant. We're still top of the league and all that. And, you know, it wasn't really until much later in the day that you began to understand what had happened. But obviously there was the Taylor report came very hard on the heels of um, the the Hillsborough disaster. And and in, in the same way that, that, that game on 26 of May, 1989 kind of, changed everybody's idea of football as a television event. At the same time, the Taylor Report changed football in so many ways. You know, you could argue that really it kind of changed. Obviously, it changed the way we watched football because we ended up now, certainly top flight football. I still go and watch our league football because I like standing. But, you know, top flight football, you have to sit down. Uh, instantly that turns you from a supporter to a customer mm. and you know the the demographic starts changing and i i feel like the 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 taylor report and tragically what happened at hillsborough actually was very significant in the development of the idea for a quote unquote premier league i really think that the two things were were connected you know that putting in all seat paying more attention to, to um, well, you know, the era of Hillsborough, the only thing that clubs and the police and local councils were bothered about, Arsenal were actually a notable exception. But all they were worried, you know, they thought that supporters were, were there to be controlled. Mm. Water safety had nothing to do with anything. You know, I'm, I remain very proud to this day that Arsenal were 
the only top flight club who refused ever to put fences in. No. Um, and they lost the right to host FA Cup semi-finals because of it. Um, and uh, But by and large, it was all about crowd control. It wasn't about um, crowd safety. And, you know, nobody... It, it, football was still a minority pursuit, really. Um, the people who loved it, loved it a lot. But it wasn't the daily conversation. It wasn't like it is today. It wasn't, you know, on TV every day. It wasn't, you know kind of bloody cheese rooms and, you know, fine wines and all that. You, you went and you stood behind the goal and you watched your team. Um, and I think that what happened at Hillsborough definitely had a real, was a real kind of, um, was a shock to the system, obviously. But it also kind of changed, changed the supporters that, you know, the, the Premier League and all-seater stadia changed football. Um for the better in mm. lots of ways. I think actually football lost a lot of things at the same time, um, but nothing's worth people's lives. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but uh, it's, it's I, I find it staggering that it's taken 30 years for people to even be thinking about putting in safe standing. Mm. You know what I mean? Just pff, unbelievable. But, um, but yeah, so that was a, a you know, it was a, Obviously, for Arsenal supporters, it was a, a a season and a night we'll never forget. But I think for England, it changed English football. Those couple of fateful months in '89 changed English football forever. Hmm. So, what, as I was looking at the running, so from this date forward, Liverpool were pretty relentless. I think they, they drew one game in all their their games. Arsenal. I looked at Arsenal's games throughout the season. They lost eight games in total, five of which were at home, and they drew ten games, six of which were at home as well. Was was that something that was thought of at the time, that maybe there was a nervousness to playing at Highbury that no, season? No, no, it, I, I don't remember. I wouldn't have been able to give you those stats at all. Um, but it was simply because that was a counter-attacking team. Mm. It was a team that was set up to defend and then break. Um, to either win the ball in the opponent's half and break on them or to play offside. Do you know what I mean? To, yeah. to defend a very high line. It was, you know, that team pressed like a Liverpool or a, you know, a, a, they, they, they were a pressing team 30 years before it was as fashionable as it is now. And... At home, it was trickier because, of course, at home, teams defended deep and, and invited Arsenal on. And that wasn't the strength of the team. The strength of the team was on the counter-attack. The strength of the team was winning the ball back high up the pitch and, you know, and, and counter-attacking. And at home, that didn't happen. Teams sat back and counter-attacked on Arsenal. Um, and, you know, that Forest game that you talked about, I remember it well, Franz Carr actually... It was he just kind of ripped Arsenal apart because the fella could do 100 metres in just over 10 seconds. And, you know, Forrest were, Forrest under Brian Clough were the, arguably the ultimate um, counter-attacking team. And it just did to Arsenal what Arsenal tended to do in away games. Mm. Um, so, uh, no, absolutely, that, that, that kind of rings true, that that was how, how things balanced out over the course of the season. And as I say, you know, in ahead of the trip to Anfield, they lost 2-1 at home to to Derby and then drew two all at home to uh, to Wimbledon. Both teams who counter-attacked on Arsenal and gave them a to their own mids. OK. The, the last thing I'm going to point out about this page is Brian, and I never thought about it before, but his, his autograph has a wee smiley face and his B, which... Yeah. Um, it seems a wee bit. I quite like that. I, th I, I quite like. That. I'm sure he doesn't sign his checks be, like that. To be perfectly, no, he probably doesn't sign his checks that way. But he, he, that is of a piece with Brian. You know, you wouldn't meet him and not like him. Yeah. Okay, so we'll move on. Page six. So this is hush, hush, Alan. So we're talking about Alan. Can I just say one thing. Could I just say, just if you went back a page? Yeah. I don't know this fella. The um. The the 
the keeper, Ian Andrews. Oh, they, yeah, yeah. Well, all it is, just, it, you know, you kind of see things like this. And obviously, Ian Andrews is actually talking about how difficult he's found it um, over the course of, you know, coming to a big club like Celtic and, you know, making a mistake in a, in a big game, losing 5-0 Rangers, all of that stuff. Really, he's talking about mental health issues. Mm. And then you've got Andy Gorham, a player on the rise, who yeah. towards the end of his career, yeah, that's right, had exactly the same kind of issues. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. um, I mean, funny enough, the the addition generally is quite goalkeeper heavy because you've got Phil Parks um, uh, towards the end of the addition as uh, the issue as well. But no, it, it, I I didn't know about Ian Andrews at all, um, uh, but did know a little bit about Andy Gorham and Andy Gorham's story. So them being so close to set against each other there, it was, there's a kind of irony in that, you know, a kind of, um, you know, yeah. But, um, but yeah, you were saying, which page did you want to go to? Uh, page six. So yeah. This is Hush Hush. They're about Alan Hansen. Yeah. Liverpool have thrown a veil of secrecy over the future of their captain, Alan Hansen adding fuel to the rumours that the brilliant defender's career at the top could be over. Hansen had dislocated his knee in a pre-season friendly against Atletico Madrid and has been working to get back to fitness. When he was tracked down by shoot, he said, I have been instructed not to say anything about the injury. There is a general worry about the club that he may never play a game, with Bob, former manager Bob Paisley saying, the chances of him playing at the top level again must be very, very slim. Manager Kenny Dalglish has tabled bids for replacements with Gary Pallister and Paul Parker being mentioned as targets. Now, at the bottom of the page, there is a photo that shows Alan on the sidelines on a running track during the Atletico game, and it's obvious that he's in some agony there. Now, just a wee spoiler on Hansen, he would play a total of six games this season and managed to actually play in the FA Cup final where they won against Everton. He made more appearances the next season, 31 in the league and 42 in total, um, as they won the league the next season. However, his knee problems persisted and he didn't make a single appearance in the following season, retiring in March of 1991. Yeah, it was a decent career in the meantime, though, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So Alan, Alan Hansen is definitely... I think with Scottish fans, we sort of, it's a bit bittersweet internationally, isn't it, because of the the game, the World Cup game? Yeah, he's remembered for that incident in 1982 with Willie Miller where they collided against Russia and uh, gave Russia basically more or less an open goal. Uh, aye, so he's, he's only got 26 Scotland caps, uh, which I think he's, he was a wee bit kind of, uh, you know, bitter about because he, he was obviously one of the best centre-halves in, in Europe at the time. Yeah, uh, I, I remember once Paolo Maldini saying that Hansen was his hero uh, growing up. So, uh, yeah, aye, it's interesting. Never really... He was a thing, he'd have got 50 caps or more for Scotland. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, he was a great player. Okay, moving on to the, the page opposite. This is an advert for Panini 89, and it's a full-page colour advert for the new Panini sticker album. And it says, it's the UK's best-selling sports publication is back. And things which they're, they're highlighting is new dynamic design. You know, I'm, I'm, I actually wonder what dynamic means in terms of an advert, I don't know, you know. Um, a stunning full colour on every page. I love I love that. We, we find that in maybe not as late as these magazines, but slightly earlier ones where on the front they're still referring to, well, this is in colour and that's in colour, as if it's like a, a special thing, which it would, would have been at the time. Uh, and it says, the only sticker collection officially approved by the English and Scottish leagues. Great foil club badges. I think, I think anybody who collected panini stickers will remember the different types of there was a material one uh, back in the sort of late 70s and then there was the foils and they'd call them shinies and things like that um free competition to win a week at the bobby charlton soccer school and all players in the latest 88 89 strip is a selling point as well I, i'm going to guess tom that you you were a collector no no never oh. no no um, and I'd have been a bit old for Panini in 89, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> a bit long in the tooth for that. Hmm. No, no, I was never a, a sticker collector. I mean, the only 
not massive on football memorabilia generally, really. I, I do have probably 50 odd years of, of Arsenal programmes, but it's not really a collection exactly. It's just all the games I ever went to. Do you know? Yeah. So it, it does fill half a room, but yeah, I, I was never a. And yeah, Panini stickers never really kind of. And my son, when he was younger, he had a little spell with them, but no, it, they, they were never really for me. Okay. What about the, the likes of Shoot Magazine, Match Magazine? Would you have got them at any point? Goal Magazine, Charles Buckin, anything like that? Not really. I, I wasn't, I, I was kind of pretty fixed on the Arsenal. That was what, you know, to be perfectly honest, it did me. The Arsenal programme did me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'd have, I'd have looked at them if they were around and I might have bought them every now and again. But of course, you know, 89. By 89, you're talking, there's a whole new, which of course doesn't get mentioned, but may have affected shoe around this time, is of course, what you've got is you've got the birth of the, the fanzine, the football fanzine. So, you know, rather than uh, the slightly kind of um, breathless, uh, patronising, um, everything's super duper, everything's colour, you know, blah, 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 um, sort of football publications it or the the kind of 20 page adverts that the club programs were suddenly supporters were writing about football themselves you know what mm. i mean and i was writing for for an arsenal fanzine maybe not that season but certainly i wrote about 26 of may 1989 for the follow for a magazine the following season i definitely remember doing that um, you know, and, and two or three years later, I was doing my first book mm-hmm. about the Arsenal. And that was me, a supporter, not me, a writer. I'd never I'd never written a book before. But I did put a book together called The End, which was actually published in, in Scotland by, by Mainstream, um, who were doing great stuff with books then. Um, well, still are. But do you know what I mean? So certainly by then, I didn't really have any interest in this kind of publication at all. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I definitely, much as I like the fellow, I would have had no idea that Brian Marr would have signed with Shoot or anything. <laughs> you know, that was, I just, I wasn't interested. It was more about, you know, writing in fanzines and taking the piss. And, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't, this kind of thing was yesterday, mm. as far as I was concerned. Oh, so it's, a, it's a good point. I've never really thought about how the fanzines would have affected the readership of this, because especially for teams that aren't covered very much in it, the fa- their fanzines are all about their team. Yeah. So, so like well, so, yeah. Um, no, there were fanzines that were more general. You know, you think hmm. about when Saturday comes, which is still going. Yeah. Um, and there were there were a few that were about football generally, but you're right. By and large, it was supporters writing about their own clubs. Hmm. Okay, we'll have a look at the next couple of pages. This is the shoot stats. So it's all the results, lineups, scorers, and other information from recent games. I'm just going to pick out a couple of results from it. So the first one up is the Littlewoods Cup semi-final between Bristol City and Nottingham Forest, and it's the second leg where Forest win one 0 thanks to a Parker goal and extra time. Yeah. And in the Scottish Cup, Dundee United beat Aberdeen one 0 thanks to a late Mixu Patalainen goal. And for me, the tie of the or the result of the, the, the week there. In the UEFA Cup quarter-final first leg, Hearts pulled off the shock of the round as they beat Bayern Munich 1-0 at home thanks to an Ian Ferguson goal after 55 minutes. What happened in the second leg? I think 2-0 they got beat, was it, Tom, in the second leg? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they did get put out, but I mean, that's that's quite an amazing result for, for Hearts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So... Arsenal draw 0-0 with Millwall in this midweek game. And there's a photo yeah. from the game on the page that shows David Drocastle and Perry Groves, I think, that are the Arsenal players there. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure of who the, the built. I don't know if that's Terry Herlock. The... Yeah, on the left it is yeah. Terry Herlock. And on the right, I would say that is probably, I think that's Les Briley, actually. Um, hmm. Yeah, I think that's Les Briley on the right. But there you are, you see, Perry Groves and... Uh, and Dave Rocaster, another two who just loved playing for Arsenal. Yeah. You know, you just had that feeling they were as excited about playing as every supporter would have been. 
if we've got a chance to pull on the shirt. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> I have to say that game is not stuck in my memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, Millwall were third in the league. Um, they're 12 points behind Arsenal. Uh, Norwich, and in, I mean, it's when I look at that, I think Arsenal first place, Norwich in second place, five points behind, and then Millwall in third place. Coventry, Man United, and then Liverpool at this point. You know, they, they were mm. sixth position in 39 points. Yeah, 16 yeah. points. They had, I think, three games in hand. But it's, it's just... What 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 a, what a race for the title that was. It brings me back to, you know, talking about the final game and, and the, the spectacle of it and what it was. What's your thoughts on... Because I know what mine, the, the Man City... The, the late um, Aguero goal and people are saying that that's the greatest finish to any any league title blah 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 and immediately I just thought back to this Arsenal oh, no, obviously, obviously it wasn't hmm. yeah. obviously <laughs> it wasn't they were playing against 10 men yeah. and QBR were rubbish do you know <laughs> what I mean Arsenal went to the best and they had been the best team in Europe for a decade hmm. Liverpool they were an unbelievable team unbelievably good yeah um, and so no, that's look with the, with all due respect, the whole Aguero thing. Yes, it was quite an exciting finish to the season, but one, it wasn't between the teams in first and second. Mm-hmm. Do you mean? And two, it wasn't. It was a mismatch. It should have been a mismatch. Three, Man City were playing against ten men at the time because your man Barton had been sent off. And four, it just wasn't. You know, it 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 wasn't dramatic in the same the same way. You know, um, you know, you didn't have ninety nine point nine percent of people, probably including most of the Arsenal team on the night, sure that Liverpool would win. Mm. You know, that's how it was that night. Ninety nine point nine percent of people would have said, "Well, Man City have turned QPR over, not a problem." Yeah, I mean, it was just. So, but that, you know, but Sky need to do that. They need to make that seem as dramatic as it was. Look, it was an unbelievable afternoon, particularly because what was happening at Sunderland the same afternoon, Mm. and you know, Man United thinking they'd won the league and then realising they'd lost it. And, you know, it was a very, very important moment in, in a great club's history, in Manchester City's history. But as a finish to a title race, no. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. No, no, just no comparison. No, no comparison. Okay, so the, the last one I'm going to look at. So we're just going to have a look at the. We're talking about the league at this point. So yeah, it's just looking at that. You just think Liverpool are nowhere near. They've got their games in hand, but you know they, they obviously, as I said, I think they they drew one game, won everything else apart from that final game, and that was the one that mattered. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. And the game immediately before it, they're running a load of goals against West Ham, which yeah. did their goal difference mm. no end of good. So, which is why it ended up being you had to have, you know, had to win by two clear goals. Yeah. Um, and West Ham weren't great. Now, there's a good team, by the way, that mm. Luton team, who had actually beaten Arsenal in the Littlewoods Cup final the season before. And that was a, that was a really good team and top, top blokes as well, mm. that lot. They really were, um, you know, people like Mick Harford, Ricky Hill, Kingsley Black, Danny Wilson, uh, Steve Foster, David Priest, Ashley, Ashley Grimes, Les Seeley. Um, that was that was a really really good team. Mm. So so this this was the Little Woods Cup semi final second leg and Luton Town yeah. beat West Ham two 0 Hartford and Wedderley yeah. with the goals there. Yeah, yeah. Just look who was man of the match for uh, for West Ham that. That night. Mm. Yeah, the one, the only, yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's not bad, the uh, West Ham team as well, with some of the names in there, I guess. No, absolutely, but they were pretty poor that season. Mm. Well, looking at the, the match awards, the, the, the points award in there, they looked pretty poor that game as well, fives and sixties, sixes mostly. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to have a look at the, the shoot... Fan of the year in conjunction with three bar extra strong mints. And the first one up here is a lad called Roger Fenton. And he's been nominated by his friend Mark Irwin 
for the first shoot fan of the week award. Now, Tom, do, do you recognise the name Mark Irwin? I think he was the editor of the match. Yeah, so I'm wondering if that's maybe a wee bit of insider dealing going on here. Um, we'll, we'll read on anyway. So Mark says of Roger, who's 14. Roger has been watching Spurs home and away since he was five. He never misses a game despite living in Chelmford, Essex, which is miles from White Hart Lane. He washes cars and helps out in local shops to raise money to pay for his football. He's not just a Spurs fanatic, he's a real supporter of the game. He helps to raise funds for his local non-league club, Chelmsford, who need money to repair the stand. After the terrible fire tragedy at Bradford City, Roger set up a, so a stall and sold second-hand goods and homemade cakes and raised £75 for the disaster fund. On one, yeah, I mean, that's that's great work. So on winning the Fan of the Week competition, Roger said, I can't believe it. What a tremendous honour for me and Tottenham. Shoot asks the reader if you know a supporter like Roger whose devotion to his or her club goes beyond the call of duty. If so, nominate them. So the Fan of the Week receives a special trophy, a tree-bought extra strong mint sweatshirt, an autographed club shirt and an invitation to the Fan of the Year award. And the Fan of the Year himself receives a trophy, a season ticket for the next season and a host of other goodies including a year's supply of extra strong mints. Yeah, you'd probably lose all the rest of the stuff. You'd take the season ticket though, wouldn't you? But you look at the lad, you look at his addies and all that. I don't think that tree ball sweatshirt would have got much wear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's there's an accompanying photo of of him. Yeah, um, it's a very busy um, the, the nicest thing I can say is a very busy carpet and a very busy set of curtains in the background. That's about the nicest thing I can say about it. And he's got quite large turn ups, I suppose, where in in fashion for certain people at the time, I guess. But yeah. Um, he's... No, no, that works for me. Mm. That works for me, that outfit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the top is, but no, no I think the jeans and the turn-ups and the, the what look like vintage addies, mm. they're, they're fine by me. He ain't wearing a three-ball sweatshirt. <laughs> okay, moving on. Going to look at the, the next page, which is the home shop mail order specialist. So this is an advert for Sports Rendezvous and it features a number of photographs of various team kits including we've got the England home away and third kit training top and sweatshirt and tracksuit there's yeah. a Scotland home and away there's raining top training top and tracksuit as well and there's Celtic Millwall home kits I mean there's loads of others but I'm just picking out a few Rangers home and away Germany Holland and Russia uh, some cracking kits in there, I think. Absolutely, well. yeah. You'd take that Russian kit tomorrow, wouldn't you? Yeah. And the the the, the Holland kit ain't bad either. Yeah. And the other two are Arsenal home and away. Yeah. 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 So, Good. Yeah. You see a lot of people still wearing them. Yeah. One because it's it's a you know it's quite a kind of classic design, but also obviously because of what that season meant. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I tend I tend to think that kits are more about the success than the look, because you know sometimes you see kits that are thought of as iconic and loved by, and and they're awful, they're horrible kits. But it's it's the one that you went to to a cup final and it's the one you got promoted in. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I'm a, I mean I must admit I grew up in a you know I grew up in a time when you couldn't even buy a replica shirt and you know. You, Definitely, if you know, 60s, 70s, if you went away, you weren't wearing colours or anything like that. It just wasn't. So I never really got into the whole kind of replica shirt thing. I've never worn a replica shirt to a game of football or anything. Mm. So they, they don't really, um, I don't know an awful lot about them. Although a fella did this massive book, sent me a copy of it, massive book about, you know, Arsenal kits down the ages. And I know, you know, people from a design point of view and, a lot of people, if you do wear replica shirts, if you're into your replica shirts, then it's it's quite a big deal. But it's never it's never meant that much to me. Just because when I was growing up, you know, you might wear a you might wear a red and white scarf to a home game, but going away, you ain't wearing colours really. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, so Tom, what we're going to do is we're going to do a focus on. So it's essentially a bunch of questions in, in the same vein as the magazines would have done with footballers okay. of the day. Uh, so I'm just going to throw them at you. Uh, full name? Uh, Thomas Erickson Watt. 
What's your birthplace? Uh, Wanstead General Hospital. Okay. I've always said I like that because um, when, when somebody gives me the actual hospital they were they were born in, that's the sort of detail I'm looking for, so thank I you. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> I left that part of London very, very young. I was only about a year over there in East London and moved to Islam, moved to a house around the corner about 15 minutes walk from Highbury. Hmm. Um, about when I was, I think I was a year, year and a half, so I've got no memory at all of, um, of living in East London, but I've... I've, I've it's one of the many things I've got to thank me mum and dad for, that when they moved, they moved to Arsenal country. Yeah. Were, were, you, were your parents Arsenal fans or was that just... No, no, they weren't interested. My mum was American uh, and my dad was more of a cricket fan, really. He'd grown up in Kent and um, was big sort of uh, cricket fan, liked his fishing and that. But no, but I was into my football. And so over the years, I've got both of them hooked. Yeah, it sort of worked the other way. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. So next question: What was your first car? My first car was a a, a Morris Minor with a little kind of split screen, um, black with one of those little split screen with a little one of them little hoods over the front window and stuff. Hmm. Um, was forever. Actually, it did all right. I was going to say it was forever breaking down, but actually it weren't. It was all right, really. Um, and, you know, cars like that, it was pretty old, even when I had it, because I learned to drive quite old. And I was, you know, probably mid-20s, late-20s before I even learned to drive. Um, and uh, actually, that car did all right. It was already old. It did all right. And it was, you know, cars back then were so similar. A car like Morris Minor so similar. Anybody with half an idea who owned a spanner could fix pretty much anything that went wrong with it. Uh, didn't include me, of course, but you didn't <laughs> have to go far to find someone who, who could put you right. Yeah. Who's your favourite player of all time? Jens Bergkamp. Okay, and this one's a, a knock-in. Favourite team? Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you, just at the moment, with everything that's happened with the Premier League and one thing and another, don't get me wrong, look, I've been watching Arsenal for... Oh, blimey, you know, 55, 56 years. So that is absolutely in the blood. But I've got to say, not because of the football particularly, but because of the experience. I am, because I live out in uh, Gloucestershire now, and I go and watch Cheltenham Town. Mm. League Two, well, I've watched them National League and League Two, and actually seen them in the, playing the heady heights of League One as well in my time following them. And there are things about that, that I really, really, you know, being able to kind of leave home half an hour before kickoff, go down, queue up at the turnstile, stand behind the goal, hear the players shouting, they can hear you shouting, have a laugh with your mates. Do you know what I mean? Pay cash on the day. It, there's something good about all that. Do you know what I mean? I really do enjoy lower league football for the for the crack. And I do quite enjoy the football as well. Obviously, it hasn't got the kind of, you know, the, the skill level and uh, all of that. But I've never been a great believer that football was about, you know, I think football on telly is about incredible skill. If you're at a game, after time, you don't even see the skill. Do you know what I mean? Either because it's happened in a flash or someone's standing up in front of you. It, for me, football's my lot against your lot. Hmm. And that's what... So um, I do like going to Cheltenham and standing on the home end and it'd be about my lot against whatever it is, Newport County or, you know, Forest Green Rovers or wherever it is, their lot. Um, and I do like all that. Uh, I like the experience a lot. Arsenal's in my blood. It's mm. forever. Um, but I'm glad that I'm able to go and watch football in that way, which in many ways is more like the football I grew up watching, both in terms of the way the football's played, but definitely the way it's experienced. You know what I mean? The standing behind the goal and yeah. having a laugh with your mates and it being quite an informal thing. And also, you know, I started watching football in the 60s and, you know, now everybody watches football, right? Everybody's got an opinion. You know, it's like back then, 60s, 70s, most people didn't care about football. Most people weren't interested. There'd be a flurry of interest when England won the World Cup in 1966. But by and large, 
it wasn't it wasn't like it is now it wasn't popular it wasn't this mass and that was kind of part of the appeal really you felt like you and other football supporters kind of enjoyed something and understood something that most people didn't and I have to say lower league football's like that because I go to Cheltenham and there's about you know I could have conversations with a thousand people a day about Arsenal everybody's got an opinion mm. whether they're Arsenal supporters or not everybody's yeah. got an opinion there's only about three and a half thousand people on earth I can have a conversation about <laughs> Cheltenham Town with. And I quite like that, to mm. be honest. I quite like, it's almost like you're in this sort of secret society. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and football, even top flight football was a bit like that when I started watching. So to watch lower league football now, it does kind of take me back in some ways to some of the, the experience because now the experience of top-flight football is so completely different to uh, to what I grew up with and fell in love with as a you know as a boy and as a teenager, it's so completely different. Um, so absolutely the Arsenal, but I do have to say there's a lot of other clubs, whether it's Cheltenham Town or Barnet or Millwall or you know there's loads of clubs I like to go and watch. To be perfectly honest, uh, I like you know so I'm, my my kind of interest is I'm the kind of bloke who if I'm driving past the park and there's a game of football on, I'll pull over for five minutes yeah. just to have a look. And within a minute, I've chosen which side I want to win. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's what football is to me. Yeah. It's my lot against your lot. It's not about, oh, look at that drag back. Look at that Cruyff turn. Look at that. Yeah, obviously that's part of it. But that's really football on the telly where they can play it over and over again. You know, most of the best bits of skill, if you're in the stadium, you miss them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I I just like the comp- the competitiveness of football. Um, and and that's that means that I can go to pretty much any game and enjoy it. Because mm. I'll go to any game and within five minutes, I know which team I want to win. Mm. I think we can relate to that, Tom. Absolutely, yeah, because Andy and I are both Clyde Bank supporters and uh, we play okay. non-league. So again, we're all standing in the terraces. Uh, that way you don't need to text somebody if, to find out if they're going. You just go to the spot that they stand at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you've got, you know, anything between three or four and seven or eight mates that you go with. And then you've got a load of other people yep. who you know, yep. you recognise, you yep. say hello, you go, oh, he did all right today, you know, <laughs> oh, Alfie Mays scored yep. again or whatever it is. But he says you haven't got a clue, they are. Yeah. <laughs> but they're people that you see at football. Yeah, absolutely. There's guys I've seen over 30 years. I have no idea what their name is. But no, I've... absolutely. Absolutely. No need, mate. No need. Your, your, your name's Cheltenham or your name Clydebank. Yeah. I'm out. Okay, so a couple of questions here, which may we may have already touched on on the most memorable match. Uh, the second leg of the uh, Intercity Fairs Cup final against Anderlecht at Highbury in nineteen seventy. Okay, what's been your biggest thrill? What in my life or in football? And either or. I've had a few of them, but. I'm not talking about them with two blokes. <laughs> well, we'll go with football then. <laughs> football. Um, well, that's the thing. That's why I thank my mum and dad uh, for moving into Arsenal country because I've had a few of them, to be perfectly honest. Mm. I've had a few of them, you know, and the ones, you know, that game I just mentioned against Anderlecht where we came from 3-1 down, beat Anderlecht 3-0, first trophy that Arsenal had won in however long it was and, just unbelievable night against an unbelievable team. Um, doing the double the following season, I was at Wild Lane to see us win the league against Tottenham and then at Wembley to see us win, do the double against Liverpool. And then, you know, those are dotted through and those moments, how do you how do you kind of rate them one against the other? Because actually they can't be rated one against the other because they're all the same moment. Mm. They're all just completely mental. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So and and those have carried on. To be fair, those have carried on. And you know, I say all all the things I say about you know enjoying lower league football and going to watch other games and stuff like that. But even you know the 2016 FA Cup final against Chelsea. 
that's you know there were five minutes in that game I've gone with my son so it's the whole kind of dads and lads thing um there were personal reasons why that was really important that afternoon and then you know you had five minutes in the game where Victor Moses gets sent off we're one nil up definitely the better team Victor Moses gets sent off you think happy days Diego Costa equalizes and you think oh you know we're gonna blow it here and then Giroud comes off the bench and his first touch is to cross it for Aaron Ramsey to score the winner. All that happens in five minutes. And you go, only football does this. <laughs> yeah. Only football does this. So I've had loads. And and like I say, you can't rate them one against the other because yeah. they're all the same. Yeah. You are absolutely mental. Okay, what was your, your biggest disappointment? We'll stick with football again. Um, the uh, Well, last time I cried at football, 1969, losing the uh, League Cup final uh, to Swindon. And it wasn't so much crying with sadness, it was crying with shame. <laughs> okay. What's the best country you've visited? Oh, mate, don't get me started. Don't get me started. I've watched football all over the world. I've been really lucky, hmm. gone all over the place with work and for fun, watching football all over there. I mean, just of late... Oh man, I did like the Faroe Islands. Yeah, okay. I did like the Faroe Islands. The Faroe Islands were like that's what the that's what Earth looked like before men turned up, <laughs> men and women turned up, before human beings turned up. It was the Faroe Islands. That is wild up there. But they loved their football. Mm. I mean, probably loved their football. The highest per capita involvement in organised football anywhere in Europe. Yeah. Most people don't even realise the Faroe Islands is in Europe. But it, everywhere, every tiny little village has got a little astro pitch. They've run two divisions of, of you know, one division of professional, one division of semi-pro. You know, the, the appetite for football is unbelievable. On what are basically just rocks stuck in the sea. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. They play anywhere. No, that, that, is, that is fantastic. But they're... For all sorts of different reasons, there are different countries. You know, Argentina is amazing with f for football. They're so it, hard to say, but just recently I did. Uh, the one the one I would go back to over and over and over again, funny enough, I'm still trying to raise money for, I did a short thing there and I'm still trying to raise the money to go back and do a full 90-minute feature documentary because it's the greatest football story that's never been told. The one place I would go back to tomorrow, if, if you said to me, you can only go to one country on earth, you can only go to one city on earth to watch a game of football, it would be Sarajevo. It would be Sarajevo. It's the greatest story, the most amazing people, and the part that football has played in that city's past and plays in that city's present is just, I mean, just touches on what is uh, everything that is best and most important about sport football mm. is in that story of Sarajevo and football during the siege and since. So that would be the, the one place that you'd go, that's the one. That's the one. For the story, there's nothing to touch it. Mm. Okay, the, the last question we'll ask then is which person in the world would you most like to meet? Blimey. I don't know. I don't know, really. We, we, we open this yeah. up. Um, it can be alive or dead, if that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, seriously, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Um, I just, uh, you know, I've been quite lucky in that I've met a lot of heroes, football heroes and others. Um I would guess, um, I, from an actor's point of view, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind a night out with Shakespeare. Um, from a football point of view, I am absolutely fascinated by Alex James, who was the kind of he was the wizard, you know all successful teams there's always one bloke who's just like you know in 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 the 70s it was it was charlie george and then you had liam brady and then you had dennis bergkamp do you know what i mean it, those well alex james was to ask 
was to Arsenal what those guys were later, but he played during the 30s. Mm. And uh, I would love to go back and experience football in the 30s and, you know, in another era like that. And and Alex James, I think, was a bit of a chap, to be perfectly honest. I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind going to football with him. Excellent. Listen, thank thank you very much for for taking the time out, and yeah, thank you. Chap, you Tom, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no, absolutely a pleasure. Good to meet you, chaps, and by all means, another time. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely, you're welcome anytime. But happy to kind of do another hour at some point in the hey, future. We'll, we'll hold you to that. We'll get you. Yeah. Again. <laughs> no, no, yeah. next year. Yeah, we've got that recorded. <clears throat> Just let me know. Brilliant. Thank you. Take care. All, right. all the best. Talk to you, again, chaps. Good luck. Cheers. Thank you. We'd like to say a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of Story of the Blues in the music for our show. And you can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk where you can check out details of any upcoming gigs and new music. And also uh, thanks to our producer Diane Jarden for all our great work. And you can check out transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music, recording and rehearsal facilities in Clydebank. So again, I'd just like to thank Tom for being Tom. Thanks, Andy. And, th- and thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast. As we always say, please share it amongst your friends. Give us some feedback. Go to the website. Support our charity partner. Until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. <laughs>